Our scripture reading will be taken from Romans chapter 1. If you'd open your Bibles there, please, to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 to 15 as we continue on in our journey through this book of Romans. And we pick up the narrative beginning at verse 8, where Paul says, First, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making a request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures and to the exposition of it to follow. Before we look at our text, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for people who love the word of God. We see the importance of understanding this book of Romans right here in this text this morning. We pray that your spirit would allow us to glean what he would have us glean from it. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, many, many years ago, back in the 80s when we were in Grand Rapids, Mr. Miles was talking to me in a conversation and we turned to Kalamazoo. And he said in that conversation, probably back in 1982, wouldn't it be something if At some point in time, you end up back in Kalamazoo. It'd take another 20 years, but eventually it did happen. As we moved from Grand Rapids to DeMott, Indiana, then to Pocatello, Idaho, that was always kind of in the back of my mind that perhaps something would happen someday in Kalamazoo. And quite honestly, John Carr is the key reason we are here. He's the man that God used to bring us here. And when John called me that final time back in 2000 out in Idaho to see about a move, Mr. Miles said, you better take a serious look at Texas Corners Bible Church because it's very possible that God wants you in Kalamazoo. That nagging thought, that nagging thought about coming back to Kalamazoo started a lot of years before it finally happened. It must have been that way for the Apostle Paul in the city of Rome. Paul had a nagging thought he just couldn't seem to shake. He always thought one day, I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach the gospel. Now, Paul had come to faith in the Lord somewhere around the year 8035. And by the time he writes Romans, he'd been a believer some 22, 23 years. But for most of those 22 or 23 years of his Christian life, he had that burning, nagging passion that he was going to go to Rome. As William Barclay said, all his life Paul had been haunted by the thought of Rome. Now when most people visit Rome today, they're interested in taking tours. I know I would be going on various excursions. You have the Tiber River, which flows right through Rome. You can take a river cruise. 
You have the museums and the art galleries. You can visit the ancient ruins like the Colosseum, and you have the catacombs, and you have the forum and public bathhouses and maritime prison that supposedly held Peter and Paul, and people who go to Rome today would want to see that and do see that. When Paul wanted to go to Rome, he certainly would have looked at the city, I mean, just as you typically do. When you go into a city, you do look at it. I mean, you can't help but see it, and Paul would have done that. But the nagging passion for him to go to Rome was not to take a tour, go on a cruise, or an excursion. Paul wanted to go to Rome to communicate and teach the grace gospel of God. What we see here is Paul's greatest personal desire and aspiration and prayer was to personally go to Rome and communicate God's word and God's grace gospel to the church of Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, according to verse 15, and preach it. Preach the gospel. What kind of marketing strategy is that? This is the big leagues, Paul. You're talking Rome here. You're not talking a little country church out there somewhere. You're talking Rome. Your philosophy of wanting to go there and preach, that doesn't sit right with growth seminars. We wouldn't promote that. If you're going to go to Rome, you're going into the big time. And if you're going to go to Rome, you need to present a good music plan, a good entertainment plan. You need to come up with coffee shops and subdivide groups and have something that they can all just share and feel good about themselves. I mean, you need to have a laid-back atmosphere. Paul said, no, that's not I want to go. I want to go to Rome so I can preach and teach the gospel of God. Because that's what those people need to hear and that's what those people need to know. Now, that church of Rome was primarily a Gentile church. We know from the list of people in Romans 16 that some of those believers in the church had come to faith in Jesus Christ elsewhere. We know, for example, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, there were a bunch of people from Rome that were in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost when Peter unleashed that spirit-led message that prompted many people to believe on the Lord and be saved. And we also know in tracking through the book of Acts, that there were people that Paul had bumped into along the way who'd come to faith under his ministry, like Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. And now that they were back in Rome, Paul had a desire to go there and teach them. That was his aspiration of life was, I want to proclaim the word of God to the people of God. That's what they need. They need to be taught. They need to understand the scriptures. They need to understand the gospel. And there are three personal matters that he wants these Roman believers to understand. Number one, I want you to know I pray for you. Paul wanted the Romans to understand, I pray for you. And he explains what he prays for the Romans. And there are two prayer subjects of which Paul wanted these Romans to know about. Number one, Paul thanked God for the faith of the Romans. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. I want you to notice how he begins first, but then he doesn't say second. And the reason he doesn't do that is because this was a very common way that in the Greek language people would communicate, let's start off with this. It wasn't necessarily doing a chronological, numerical list of things. He's basically saying, let's start here. And he starts off by saying, I thank my God. Well, now, why would you thank God for their faith? Because it was God that produced the faith. That's why he starts there. 
It was God who had reached into these people's lives and he caused them to realize their need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Now, Paul's writing in Corinth. We know from Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 20 that wherever Paul went, he usually was under some plot of people that wanted to kill him. And in spite of the personal pressures and problems that he had, he said, I'm actually thankful in my own prayer life for you people. My thankfulness for you is through Jesus Christ. And no matter what we face, we can be thankful because of the relationship we have in Jesus Christ. His thankfulness was due to him. It was on account of Christ's work in his life in the lives of the Romans that made him very thankful. Now, the specific thing that he mentions here in verse 8 is, I'm very thankful because what has really touched Paul was the Romans' fame and faith in Jesus Christ that had spread worldwide. Talk about their faith in the Lord had spread worldwide. They were basically famous. People all over the world were talking about, hey, there's a group of believers there in Rome. And those group of believers in Rome really love the Lord and they really love the word of God. In fact, the text says their fame spread throughout the entire world, which would indicate wherever Paul went, he was hearing about people that were talking of the fact, you know, in that big city of Rome, there's a sizable group of people who had believed in Jesus Christ. Now, years earlier, they had been expelled from Rome. Some of the Jewish believers have been expelled from Rome, but now everybody was back in Rome. Some of those Christians have been expelled. Now they're back in there, and that was the talk of the world. And by the way, just so we set the record straight, this is one of the verses that the Roman Catholics used that becomes the basis for them saying the mother church is in Rome. They base that on this verse. But what they don't realize is, well, there's 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1 and verse 8, and he basically says the same thing about that place. So why don't you pick Thessalonica rather than Rome? I mean, it's just they're picking Bible verses and using it to support their thesis. Now, the Greek text translated throughout the whole world means that the faith of these believers were being discussed everywhere Paul went. Everywhere he went around the world and around Turkey and around Palestine, there was obviously some mention about those believers in Rome everywhere in the world, especially among the brethren. The grammar does not mean they were talking about him in every bar or he was crawling through jungles. They're talking about the Romans back there. But he's basically saying, wherever I go and bump into people, they're talking about Rome. What a testimony these people had. People knew this is a church there, boy. There's a church of people there. They love the word of God. They love the grace of God. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's quite a church. And the reputation of this place had spread all over. They were living in a bizarre world morally. They were living in a bizarre world religiously, yet they were rock solid in their faith. And also carefully notice, Paul thanks God for their faith. He doesn't thank them for their health or their numbers or their talents or their money or their works. He thanks God for their faith. In fact, at the end of this book, he'll rejoice because they were so solid in their faith that they could spot fraud ministers and they wouldn't sit under fraud ministers. They wouldn't tolerate fraud ministers. And when you hear of people that love the word and they love the doctrines, And everywhere you go, they're talking about that. I mean, that would drive you to want to be there. That would drive you to want to thank the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul did. He thanked God for them. And he'll say later in this book 
The faith comes by hearing the word of God. He was thankful that in Rome you have these believers. They're known for their faith. Solid. Solid. They want to know truth. That's what they're after. Church to them wasn't playtime. Now, who wouldn't want to be with a group of people like that? Who wouldn't want to go to a place where the people love the Lord and love the word of God, want to understand it? I mean, that's the attitude that existed in this church of Rome, and that's why Paul said, I'm thankful for that church. Secondly, I ask God to be able to let me visit you in Rome. That's what he says in verse 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of Son is my witness as how I unceasingly make mention of you always in my prayers. I want to just stop there before we address this. Paul says, God is my witness that I pray for you. Don't use that flippantly or lightly. You know, there's a guy on TV, a news guy, that just, he'll be interviewing somebody, and he'll go, I just want you to know you're in my thoughts and prayers. And I've often thought to myself, do you really mean you get down on your knees and pray for them? Is that what you're saying, or are you just using verbiage? If you go up to someone and you say, I want you to know I'm praying for you, you better be doing it. Don't just throw that out there as something to say because you don't know what else to say. Don't say anything rather than say that. Paul says, I want you to understand I'm praying for you and God is my witness in this. So this is not some light matter. And Spurgeon said, no wonder this church is flourishing. And you've got a guy like Paul who's continually praying for that church. No wonder God is blessing it. And he went on to say a church that has a bunch of people that are praying for it is going to be a church God's going to bless. And in close proximity to the faith reputation of these believers, Paul says, I'm continually praying for you. And one of the things that I'm specifically praying about is that God would permit me to come to you so that I can teach you. Now, that's just an interesting thing to think about, because at this point, God hasn't let him go there. He's been praying about this for quite a while, obviously. So when we find ourselves in situations that seems not to be working out immediately the way we think they ought to work out, we need to continue to pray. That's the lesson to see here from Paul. I mean, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He just was prevented from doing that, but he wasn't stopped from praying about that. It's like the psalmist says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you. Paul says, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will permit me to come to Rome. And one of the reasons is my job is to unlock the gospel of God. My job is to come there and unlock the doctrines. And I desire to do it. I want to come to you in person and do that. And when you get a faithful man like Paul who hears of a group of faithful people in a city that he knows some of these people, I mean, he naturally would pray that God would send him there. He wanted to go there, but he knew God would determine whether or not he would be able to go there. So he is praying about this. He's praying about this. He said, God is my witness. I want you to know I am praying about this all the time. And actually, it'll be two or three more years before God answers the prayer. It'll be two or three more years before he ends up in Rome. And to get to Rome wouldn't be the way you and I would answer the prayer. He'll end up going to Rome through a shipwreck. He'll be bitten by a deadly serpent and chained to guards. Now Rome will pick up the tab for his trip. But the fact of the matter is, that's how he's going to answer that prayer. That's how God's going to answer that prayer. 
But we need to learn a great lesson here. Just because God does not immediately answer the prayer doesn't mean he's not going to eventually answer the prayer. And faithful people keep praying, realizing that in God's time, in God's way, he's going to answer. God is still in the business of answering prayer and making dreams come true. Paul said, I'm praying for that. Now, the second matter that he brings up is he explains the reasons why he wants to visit the Romans in verses 11 to 14. And there are five specific reasons in this context why he wanted to go to Rome. And what isn't in the list is, I want to go to Rome so I can increase your numbers. I want to get to Rome so we can increase the dollars. I want to get to Rome to do some exciting new types of apostolic miracles. Paul said, no, I'm not wanting to come there for any of that. I want to come to Rome for five reasons. Number one, I'd like to impart a spiritual gift to you. Verse 11 says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That verb impart means I want to share something with you. I want to give you something. And Paul was a gifted apostle. He wanted to go to Rome and share that gift of apostleship with these believers who were there. Now, what that gift enabled him to do was understand revelation from God. He had a gift that enabled him to preach and teach the word of God and unlock the doctrine of the gospel. That primarily is what he has in mind, as you'll see in verse 15. He wants to go to the church of Rome and use his gift to unlock the gospel. He wanted to preach and teach it, which is what God gave him the gift to do. And that really gets at the heart of true ministry. A true minister is someone that does not have so much a passion for promotions and administration and counseling and entertainment. I mean, a true gifted minister wants to use the gift that he has to preach and teach the word. And if that passion isn't there, he shouldn't be there. Paul said, that's my passion to come and preach and teach. Secondly, I want to go to Rome to establish you in the faith. He says at the end of verse 11, that you may be established. That word that in Greek introduces us to a result of Paul coming to Rome to share his spiritual gift of preaching and teaching. He said, I want to come there so you people can be established in the faith. And that's an interesting word because it means that you'll be firmly fixed, firmly grounded. You'll be well cemented in the faith. Paul says, I want to come to Rome. I want to use the gift that God's given me to be able to preach and teach the word of God so that you people can be firmly grounded and cemented in your faith. I want to carefully teach the gospel of God and the doctrine so you'll be grounded in it. Now, that's an important point to understand, ladies and gentlemen, because just because you believe in the Lord, and that's a wonderful thing if you believe in the Lord, does not mean you automatically have a grasp of the doctrines of God, the word of God, and the truth of God. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you understand everything in the scriptures. Paul is saying, I'm praying that God will let me come to Rome so that I can teach you so you'll be grounded. Now that is so important to see. Every one of us needs to see that. We become strong in the faith by being carefully and accurately taught the word of God by someone that knows what they're talking about. There's a lot of religious stuff that happens. I mean, there's religion enough to make you sick out there. 
But what we really need is to be taught the word of God by someone that understands the word of God. That doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by a seminar or even by reading a devotion every day, although that's important to do. What is needed and what Paul felt was needed is you need a gifted guy to come to your place and accurately teach you and preach to you the word of God because that is what will establish you in the faith. You know, when we started here 22 years ago, we started teaching doctrine, systematic theology. That sounds scary. It's not. It's very important to learn this doctrine. It's all connected to every key doctrine of the Bible. And I particularly taught that doctrine that was taught to me. Dr. Chafer taught it to John Miles. John Miles taught it to me. I taught that doctrine in this church for seven years. And after that seven-year period, we turned it over to Mr. Tim Kelly, who now teaches the very same doctrine in this church. He's been teaching it for years. Now, we don't do that just to kill time in Sunday school on Sunday morning at 9 in the chapel. The reason we have that doctrine is it establishes God's people in the faith. It makes you solid. You're not fickle. You're not fluffy. You are able to understand what you believe and why you believe it. Paul said, that's why I want to go to Rome, to establish these people in the faith. Thirdly, he wanted to go to Rome to encourage each other. Verse 12 says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. That's important to see. When believers gather together, when they're taught the scriptures, when they sit in a context of the church of God, you have a true God-wrought encouragement that takes place that you will not find anywhere else in the world. I'm convinced of that. There's a great mutual encouragement that comes to the learner and the teacher. As people hear the word of God, they're stabilized in their faith, and when that happens, all people are encouraged. And the Apostle Paul, who's the greatest theologian to ever live, he himself needed encouragement, and he got that encouragement. He says, as I go to the people of God and I see people that want to know the word of God, it really encourages me. It strengthens them and encourages them, but there's also a mutual encouragement that comes to me. And when you see people that are discouraged all the time, you can basically conclude they're not regularly probably associating with faithful people that are serious about hearing and learning the word of God, because if they were, there wouldn't be so much discouragement. You find great encouragement in the things of the Lord. The fourth reason Paul said, I want to go to Rome, is I want to bear fruit. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I planned to come to you and have been prevented so far that I may obtain some fruit among you also. Paul said, I don't want you unaware of this fact. I wanted to come to Rome. I didn't just want to go there to see things. I wanted to go there to bear fruit. And we're talking about the kind of fruit that lays up treasures in heaven. Jesus talked a lot about this fruit. Jesus said God would fine-tune a fruit bearer so that he can bear more fruit. Jesus said God would permit one close to Jesus Christ to bear much fruit. God would grant Fruit bearers answer to their prayers. Fruit bearers would be one who would glorify the Lord and they would have full joy. Paul said, that's why I want to come. 
I want to come to Rome and I want to proclaim the gospel of God and I want to do it so that I can bear fruit. And bearing fruit is the mark of one close to the Lord. And what would Paul do to bear the fruit? What was his game plan? Well, verse 15 says, I'm coming there to preach. That's my plan. My plan is to come there and preach and teach the word of God which bears fruit. And the fifth reason why Paul says I want to go to Rome is because of my apostolic obligation. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul had been given a very unusual gift of God, and he knew he had an obligation to use it. I mean, actually, at this point, there's not another apostle on the earth that understands the gospel like he does. And Peter would testify of that. Peter said that guy understands deep things that are really beyond the level of most of us. I mean, Peter alluded to that in 2 Peter. But ultimately, Paul had been given this gift. He was an apostle. He was assigned to unlock the doctrine of the gospel. He felt the weight of that. He felt the responsibility of that. And he felt he had a responsibility to use his gift to preach and teach the word. Everyone in the world, and he brings that out, everyone in the world needs to carefully and accurately understand the gospel revealed by Jesus Christ to Paul. And it's still the need of the world. Everyone in the world needs to carefully and accurately understand the gospel of God that Jesus Christ revealed to Paul. Because it was his gospel. There were... More Greeks and barbarians and wise people and foolish people and sinful people in Rome than any other city in the world. When you went to Rome, you had politicians and religious ministers and soldiers and you had business people and every type of sinful person imaginable in Rome. And Paul says, I'm obligated to go preach the gospel. He was up when he went to Rome against a lot of religion. And The fact of the matter is, most of those religions that he was up against had ministers in them, didn't even know what they're talking about. And Paul said, I do know. I'm obligated to go and straighten out things. I'm obligated to go communicate truth. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to preach. Now his third personal matter is he explains why he hasn't visited Rome yet in verses 13 to 15. Paul is a person who hadn't been to Rome, and I'm sure that he's suffering some type of criticism or attack just knowing the way this works as to why he hadn't come there. Probably some people were saying, you know, he's, he's just not polished enough here for the big time. Or he's afraid. Or he really doesn't know his stuff here in a city filled with all these kinds of religions. He may be okay for smaller towns, but not a town like Rome. Paul said, you need to understand why I haven't been there yet. There are two reasons. First of all, because at this point, I've been prevented from coming there. In verse 13, I want you to not be unaware, brethren, I've often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. Now, some people wrongly think the life an apostle was a life of all ease and glamour. That's not true. It was hard. It was tough. It was lonely. I mean, most people have no idea what it's like to pull up stakes and move to an area where you don't even know anybody. It's tough. You just move to some area. You don't even know the area. You don't even know street names. You don't know anyone even there other than you're going there. And Paul totally believed in the sovereignty of God in that. 
He believed in the sovereignty of God of permitting or preventing him from ministering in certain places. Satan was in the business of trying to prevent Paul from ministering, but God was always sovereign in every circumstance and situation. And Paul realized this. He said, but I want you to know this. I've wanted to come to Rome a lot of times, but to this point, God just hasn't given me the freedom or the ability to get there. And the second reason was because to this point, he had other obligations. He says in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. As an apostle, he said, you need to understand I have a responsibility to present this gospel to people everywhere. That is my job, to present these doctrines and truth of the gospel of God. And we learn in Philippians that there were religious leaders who were jealous of Paul's grasp of truth. He had a level of understanding they didn't have, but that didn't slow him down. That didn't stop him. Paul said, I'm obligated to preach to the Greeks. Now, the Greeks, they're the cultured people. They speak the Greek language. I'm obligated to preach to the barbarians. Those were the foreign people. They didn't speak Greek. They were considered to be inferior to the Greeks and to the Romans. He said, I'm also obligated to the wise. That's the educated and the scholarly group. And I'm also obligated to the unwise, the uneducated, the uncultured, the crude. Paul says, I have an obligation to preach and teach the word of God all over the world to all people. And that is why I haven't been in Rome just yet. So this same Paul who took the gospel to Rome wrote it for us. And he takes us on the same journey that he gives to them. He gives the same teaching. And Paul said, I'm eager to come preach to you. I'm eager to come preach to you, verse 15. Calvin said, Paul was ready and he was well prepared to go to Rome and preach. And he had 22 years of teaching behind him under his belt. And plus, he had personally met with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ had unlocked these doctrines that we're going to see starting next Sunday, Lord willing, that he unlocks. So he said, I want you to understand why I haven't been there. I have obligations all over the world. I want to leave us with three parting lessons from this text. First of all, Paul had a passion to preach and teach the gospel to people who are already believers. I think that's important. That's fascinating. Because when you initially think of presenting the gospel, you initially think of, I need to present the gospel to lost people. And Paul said, that's not where I think I need to present it first. He said, the people who first need to know it and understand it and grasp it are the believers. It's the people who believed on the Lord. They need to understand what has taken place here, the theology behind it. And just because one is saved does not automatically mean he knows and understands the word of God. And I know that to be true because, I mean, I came to faith in the Lord back in 1976. It took years, years, before the books of the Bible and the doctrines were made clear to me by men who knew them. Years. And that's what Paul wanted to do to the Roman believers. He wanted to go there and he wanted to share with them the doctrines and the understanding of the gospel of God. And once you have a solid understanding of the gospel of God, that really does enable you to go out and share it from a depth level that does bear fruit. Secondly, 
When we understand the truth of God's word and God's doctrines, we are obligated to share it. But I think we're obligated to share it with two groups of people. You know, you run into a lot of people that say, I'm a believer in the Lord, but then you listen to their doctrine, you're going, man, they're out of whack. So, in those situations, we have a responsibility to say, now let me correct you in what you're thinking here, because it really doesn't square with what the Word of God reveals. We have a responsibility to save that to the saved people. And certainly, we have a responsibility to share Christ with the unsaved. And finally, God sovereignly determines where we are permitted to minister. He opens doors, he closes doors, and he obviously determines where we're not permitted to minister as well. Now, the grace gospel that you're going to see unlocked in the next verses of Romans says this. It doesn't matter what your education level. It doesn't matter what your culture level. It doesn't matter what your color. It doesn't matter what your business, what you've done for a living. It doesn't matter whether you are a success or failure. It doesn't matter if you're a rich man or poor man. It doesn't matter if you're a religious person or you come from a heathen background. We're all sinners. And we all need to be saved from our sins. We need to have the righteousness of God. And there's only one person who can give us that righteousness. That one is Jesus Christ. To be saved from our sins, we need the righteousness of God. Our problem is we don't have it. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to get it. We can't work out something with God, some deal with God that will make him want to save us. Our religion isn't going to do it. If we come up with man's traditions and man's religious rules and legalism, that isn't going to do it either. We can follow the rules of creed or we can follow the rules of a council. That isn't going to save us. That will not give us the righteousness we need to get into heaven. What Paul says is you need the righteousness of God and that righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And if you will believe on him, you'll be saved. That's the message Paul took the Romans and all over the world. That's the message we present to you. Let's pray. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you can settle your eternal account right now by taking care of that. Just acknowledge to God the reality of truth that you are a sinner, as we all are, and invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your life to take it over and give you the righteousness you need to have a relationship with God. Father, we are so grateful for this book of Romans. We're grateful for Paul, who was so mightily used by you in the scheme of your plan to communicate to us these great truths pertaining to the gospel of God. I pray as we journey through the pages of this gospel of Romans that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to do a dynamic work in all of us, establish us in the faith, Help us to sense an obligation we have to defend the faith, to communicate it. I pray that you would just continue to give us the wisdom of God that we can function in this world the way you would have us function. Open doors for us, Lord. Thank you for the doors you've opened all over the world with this 
internet ministry and radio ministry and from people we hear from. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. We pray you continue to bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen.